podcast run by the graduate students of the English department at NYU. When we were recording our episode on work, we recorded a series of interviews chronicling a day in the life of a graduate student. In this episode, you'll hear me, Kim, being interviewed by Saronic. We recorded this interview in October of 2016. There's a bit of background noise in the recording and you'll hear me speaking first. I like breakfast, I really like breakfast. It's my favorite meal of the day. Do you write while you have breakfast? Uh, no, but often I read. Um, actually, sometimes I write. Um, I, used to, I used to really like working in the mornings. Um, like I used to like get up before everybody else would get up. Like when I was writing my MA thesis, I would get up really, really early at like four in the morning. Um, because I was living at my dad's house then, and my dad really likes to interrupt me and ask lots of mundane questions. So I would get up before he would. I, I was like sleeping at my boyfriend's house, so I would get up at Will's house and then drive to my dad's house, um, and then eat breakfast and write uh, at like five in the morning. Um, and then I would be done by like eleven, which was nice. Um, is, is it faster when you eat writing? Do I write faster when I eat, or do I eat faster when I write? Well, both maybe. Uh, I definitely write slower. Uh, and <laughs> I probably eat faster. I don't know. I also, I, uh, but more often I read while I eat. Um, I like to read, I like to try to read while I'm eating dinner or uh, eating breakfast. Um, I have one of those funny book stands that I try to set up. Um, uh, one summer I read like all the novels of, um, uh, a lot of the novels of D.H. Lawrence in this manner. Like while I was eating on a book stand, a lot of long lunches by myself reading the influence. Does it feel like a continuum in your mind, eating and reading? I mean, does it feel like the same part of your mind is getting activated? No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> You're going for like a consumption metaphor here. I am. Uh, Okay, so, uh, but when you're writing, say for example, yeah. hypothetically speaking, you're writing. Oh, but you know, uh, sometimes when I'm writing, I like to like put things in my mouth. Like I like to eat uh, little snacky things continually mm. as I write, especially when I'm stressed out about what I'm writing. Um, like those puffin cereals. Uh, I think actually Ruby does this a lot when she's working. She likes to like eat things because when I, Ruby and I live together, uh, Ruby, I would find. Like I bought a box of those puffins and then I would uh, then and Ruby would make fun of me for buying them and she thought they were like fake snack food and then I found a bunch of them gone and I was like, Ruby, you ate the puffins and she's like, Yes, I ate the puffins. Actually she denied it. Ruby is secretly very oral, so (laughs) Yes, Ruby is the oral mother. Um, But so when you're stressed and you're eating and you're writing, does it feel like work? Uh, the writing? Yeah. So, I mean, you're stressed, so does it feel more like work, and does the food feel like fuel? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I think it's also a slightly neurotic habit, right? Um, the, like, wanting to activate the oil, the oil desires, and 
but also the, um, I don't know, just like smoking cigarettes. So, right. uh, okay, on Friday mornings I teach, um, which means that I wake up blindingly early. I wake up at six. Uh, I ate breakfast, um, and then I came here. Do you hurry through the food? Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I ate kind of quickly. I ate while I was, like, getting dressed, um, in my lovely, uh, denim shirt with Halloween decorations on it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I hurried through the food, uh, and then, uh, try to catch that, you know, catch the one train, which is, uh, always very crowded, um, I switched to the two train at uh, 92nd Street, which uh, 96th Street, which is maybe not always the greatest decision because then I switch back to the one train, uh, and sometimes I feel like it's the same train, um, <laughs> and and then I so I get off at um, goodness what is the street Christopher Street, um, and then I walk across the park, uh, and then I came here and uh, set up a bowl of Halloween candy. Did you ever distribute sweets among your students? I did, I did. So that was the reason I came here and got the Halloween candy. I also made myself another cup of tea, which I took to class with me, and I took the Halloween candy, uh, and I thought it would actually excite them about the course, but it didn't. I just, I walked in the room, and I was like, Happy Halloween! And they were like, Really? <laughs> and they, like, uh, kind of passed around. I don't know. Darren taught with me last semester, so she knows. I do things yeah. like, Happy Halloween! And then the kids look at me like, What is wrong with you, teacher? Uh, it's not true. They adore you. <laughs> you always bring them pumpkin bread and good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, Berenger gave me cookies to give them in the past. How many students you have? That. So I have, um, what is it? it's like 18 in the first section and 20 in the second, I think. Yeah. So um, the, uh, common, the common core classes I'm teaching, a common core curriculum class, um, and they're big. It's a 120-student lecture, uh, three TAs, each of two sections. Um, so, and I actually lectured this week. Um, the teaching is the part of this job, if we want to call it a job, that feels the most like work. Um, so the teaching is the part that has a real, like, you have to get up at this time and be in this place at this time. Of course, I show up late to class because I do anyways. Um, I have a student who shows up later than me all the time, every year. Um, but, you know, I show up like 10 minutes late and the student walks into class 20 minutes late. Um, and do you allow them in? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, I mark it down if they're later than I am. Um, but I don't, I'm a person who's late, so it doesn't, I don't, I, I don't think it's fair to penalize other people for being late. Um, it would be hypocritical of me. Uh, what do you do today? So today we were doing, so I didn't get to pick the syllabus because I'm a TA, but, uh, today we were doing, um, uh, Mrs. Warren's Profession, Shaw Play. Uh, we were doing an essay by Oscar Wilde called The Soul of Man Under Socialism um, and a very short essay by Walt Whitman called The Old Bowery. Um, Chad has taught these texts before. Uh, the Old Bowery is really weird. It's not really an essay. It's just like a sketch 
uh, it's Whitman talking about what New York was like in the 1840s in the theater. Yeah, the old Bowery Theater that had a slightly lower-class clientele. <clears throat> yeah, and he talks about the crowds of full-sinewed men yes. clapping and their applause is electric, and I was like, oh boy, my dissertation is in it. <laughs> Hooray! I can <laughs> yeah, tell the Yeah, I thought of you when I read that, actually. Uh, Whitman is fond of electricity. Um, he thinks it's really sexy when all the men clap. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> does. And I tried to, like, I tried to tell my students about um, sort of the different, the, like, nuanced different importance of Wilde and Whitman to male homosexuality uh, in, like, Anglophone literature. And they... I'm pretty sure that all I got across to them was Whitman thinks it's sexy when the men clap. Like, because... <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. It's just, like... I, I'm pretty sure they think I'm just, like, weirdly harping on sex and, like, I'm trying to, like, make... Early in the morning. Yeah, early in the morning. Um, with you know, candies, I With candy. <laughs> sex and candy. Oh, uh, God, isn't that a bad song from the 90s? Um, I think it is. Uh, but this is a class that they're going to remember, I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, so so actually, so at the, the lecture version I gave of this, I lectured yesterday... Um, because Bill Blake was out, um, I did half of the lecture, and the other TA, uh, John, whatever his name is, not John Lindstrom, the Victorianist John, uh, did the other half of the lecture, and he talked about uh, he talked about Mrs. Wilde's profession, and I talked about Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Warren's profession, and I talked about Wilde's essay. Um, and one of the students came up to me afterwards and was like, because I mentioned the importance of Whitman and Wilde to homosexuality and asked them if they wanted me to talk about it and they said no, they wanted me to talk about Wilde's essay. Um, and then, so I mentioned this to them and then this other, this student who's like a really like invested student who actually talks in lecture came up to me afterwards and was like, so the Whitman essay, that was a gay thing? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Anyways, um, that is... Yes, yeah, so I taught this morning, and then I went to my reading group. Um, Which group was it? It is the Theory Biscuits. Ah, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you were reading Kant. We were reading Kant, yeah. So, And I, of course, didn't finish reading the Kant, even though I was the one who assigned the Kant. Um, in theory, I, I mean, in practice, I read it uh, ages ago. I read it the first year of my MA. Um, uh, what, what, what of Kant did you read? So we read... Um, passages from the third critique, the critique of aesthetic judgment. Um, we read the part where he talks about the, um, uh, so the analytic of the beautiful, not the analytic of the sublime, and we read the part about, um, we read the third movement of it. It doesn't really matter. Um, we read some of the stuff where he talks about how you could make aesthetic judgments universal um, and some of the stuff where he talks about uh, the difference between the the like perfect, where the good, the perfect and the good go together for Kant, and the beautiful are separate. You can evaluate the perfect and the good. Um, the perfect and the good uh, have concepts, so you can evaluate the object in terms of how it fulfills its concept, and that would be like about its perfection. Mm -hmm. um, so, and also its goodness. So, like, 
an object that is um, uh, an object that fulfills your concept of it um, is is good or perfect. So you could say this is a perfect microphone. Right. Um, but I don't know about that. <laughs> it's not <laughs> true. Fulfills my <laughs> expectations of a microphone. But uh, or you could say it's an imperfect microphone. But you cannot, on those grounds, say it is a beautiful microphone. Right. Uh, because uh, in order to make an aesthetic judgment, you have to c- suspend your concept of purpose, mm-hmm. uh, or your so you can't you can't say because it is a perfect microphone, it is a beautiful microphone, or because it is an imperfect microphone, it is an ugly microphone, um, and that is an error that Kant thinks other philosophers have made in the past. So it's a sl- reworking of Plato's archetypes. Mm, kind of. Kant is, we actually had a discussion in Theory Biscuits about whether Kant was a Neoplatonist or not, um, and I think the consensus was that he is not, uh, because he's, uh, I don't know, we talked about how he's trying to unite empiricism and uh, analytic traditions, and that's why he's important to the history of philosophy, but I, I kind of don't understand why he's not Neoplatonist. Because he's he is he does have an investment in concepts that are I mean but they're not transhistorical given yeah that doesn't make someone a Platonist though yeah yeah okay. <laughs> or a neoplatonist I, I mean ideals show up <laughs> yeah um, ideal form even we like there's a bit about like the ideal form of man or something in that passage um, we're not talking about my day that much yeah well we're talking about Kant and we well, I talked about Kant today. Uh, did you bring some of Kant to uh, the talk that you went to? The so immediately after the Kant, uh, I went downstairs. I also like continually drink tea throughout the day, only on Fridays because I have a million things to do on Friday. Uh, but also because most of them happen in this building where there is a like tea making facility. You know, there is like a <laughs> water boiler, uh, so I don't. Other people drink coffee, but I drink tea and all these things uh, and so I'm there with my weird mug that has I got rid of it, that has like South Beach, Florida on it uh, stirring my tea and talking about Kant Uh, and then I went to Chad's thing and I brought my tea I made myself another cup of tea on the way. What was Chad's thing and talking to them? Oh okay, Chad's thing, I went to Chad's (laughs) thing Uh, Chad's thing was um, a reading group uh, no, it wasn't a reading group. It, it working progress. It's a working work. Progress. Yeah, a working progress. It's a working group event. The the cultures of war, people. Um, the cultures of war is a working group that Chad runs with Patrick Deere, and Chad presented a bit of his dissertation at it. Uh, and so we talked about fact checking, uh, and there were some other people there presenting their work as well. Uh, so there was a first year student Chris, talking about. Yeah. This uh, is in one of my classes. Uh, yeah, so Chris, uh, Chris is an MA student, and she was talking about um, translating Korean war novels. Um, and she told us a nice, like, a nice, s- swift conceptual history of the Korean war, and I was very pleased. No one ever told me a history of the Korean war before, and now I learned things. Uh, doesn't always happen in an English department that you learn <laughs> things during the day. I feel like I did. Uh, and... Um, and the first year kid named Andrew, Andrew Zaniani, he's in your cohort. Um, and he was talking about surveillance and glitch aesthetics. 
I don't know anything about that. Glitch just said it. Well, in one sentence. Owen was saying that he saw a video of Miley Cyrus. Oh, because your phone has some glitch aesthetics. So it's like when when there's like. Uh, in in a video, there's like a weird digitally thing that causes mm-hmm. thing or like music with feedback in it could yeah, be something that has is glitches. Which is then sublimated into into some sort of something you could make an aesthetic judgment. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I came here. Anyways, I think we should switch up uh, who's doing this now because we've gotten through my day. That's it for this episode of the Electric Text. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website, electrictext.net. That's electrictext, all one word, dot net. You can also reach us by email at electrictext at gmail.com. That's electrictext spelled with two X's. E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C-T-E-X-X-E at gmail.com Thanks for listening and we look forward to hearing from you. The Electric Text was created by our cohort Anna Moser, Berenger Ryu, Chad Hagelmeyer, David Sugarman, Owen Quinn, Gina Dominic, Kimberly Adams, Ruby Lowe, Penelope Myers, and Vignesh Sridharan. This episode includes the voices of Saronic Bosu, Kimberly Adams, Owen Quinn, Chad Hagelmeyer, and Berenger Ryu. Kimberly Adams edits our audio and runs our website. Our theme music is composed by Owen Quinn. The electric text is supported by the English department at NYU. Gosh, looks really are amazing. Well, that's all for now. We'll catch you next time on the NYU.